You're listening to All That Matters. I'm Chris Chang and Phillips. And I'm Ria Lakani. Welcome back, Ria. Thanks, Chris. Ria was with us for the very first episodes of this show and has been out of the country, but she's back in Canada and we couldn't be happier to have her back on the show. And I'm so excited to be back in Edmonton and experience this wonderful weather. Yeah. Well, here at All That Matters, each week we take small bites out of the big question. This week, if art is for everyone, how do we make it something everyone can access? We've got stories about daisies and weddings. It sounds pretty summery. Well, let's start off with a story about book clubs. Pretty normal, right? People sitting around in a circle sharing their thoughts on a piece of literature. Well, a program at an Edmonton library is making sure everyone can have that experience. Behind the stacks upon stacks of books at the Stanley Milner Library is a huge collection of audiobooks. And for over 20 years, a group of visually impaired Edmontonians have been meeting on the sixth floor to talk about these talking books. Our reporter, Nikki Weirt, explains. Chapter 1, The Talking Book Club. You've heard of book clubs, right? But what about talking book clubs? My name is Judith. Um, I've been um, with this group for probably five, six years. Meet Judith Basisti. She works at the Stanley A. Milner Library in downtown Edmonton and has for over 20 years. The group she's talking about is the Talking Book Club. But as you know that it's been ongoing since 20-some years, um, it's part of the library access services that were established um, probably 25 years ago or more to um, uh, meet the needs of people with visual um, impairment. And so I've, as I said, I've just been with this group for probably six years. Um, love this program because the members here are just amazing. And we share their stories, we share their experiences, we share their frustrations. The Talking Book Club is about allowing everyone the chance to access literature. It's a program for Edmontonians who are blind or visually impaired. Judith invited me to come and join the group for one of the sessions. Hi, yeah, I am. Judith. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. This is fabulous. Thanks for letting me come and hang out. So the second Wednesday of every month, the group, which is usually about a dozen people, and some guide dogs, meet to discuss books they've read, or in this case, listen to, and sign up for books. I'd like to introduce you. (laughs) I'd like to introduce you to Nikki from CJSR. The staff read out the description of the audiobook, spanning decades and generations, and centered on a little The members are assigned a number, and once the description is the done, the members shut out their number to be signed up to take the book home. By the remarkable Fanny Flag. One, four, seven, five, eight. Did fights ever break out here? Fights over book, books ever break out? Did I miss some action? Or? No. Uh, no, no, but you like it though, sometimes because we're all calling up for that book. That book, yes. Yeah. It's, yes. Yeah. Some books are more popular than others. Yes. Yeah. And some, <laughs> some authors. The request, yeah. Just like that John Grisham novel Grisham, there. Yes. Like, you get a popular author like that, and everybody wants it at once. I'm Adele. That's Adele. Charles Clement. Charles. Robert Logue. And Robert. Adele is relatively new to the club, but Charles and Robert have been coming here for 20 plus years. And the original talking books were on records. Yeah. vinyl records and uh, one book would be a stack of a huge stack would weigh about 10 pounds or more it was a really pounds. a commitment it was a real commitment that, that was one book Robert is considered the tech savvy member of the group I use computers I don't mind doing some of the, the things the hard way 
and other people in this group would never touch a computer. You know, it's just it's not good. their style, right? So they some of them don't want the daisies. Some of them prefer the daisies, and so the, you know they, they they cater to us very nicely. Chapter two: Daisy readers. An ordinary audio CD can only hold about 80 minutes of recording, and some of these books are like 10 or more hours long. So that's a lot of CDs, individual CDs. And there are lots of books being produced on regular audio CDs for the general public, the, the commercial audio books. And, but the, the DAISY consortium is an international group that just wanted to come up with a way of making books available in a more compact form for, for people who are legally blind or cannot read print for other reasons. Welcome, Welcome to Victor Reader. <laughs> That's a daisy reader. I sat down with Judith to see how one works Honeymoon with and what my makes it different from memoir. a standard CD The Orange player. County Register's Amy Wilson swapped emails with us for months in order to tell this story with her elegant prose. The instructions Rick are Rife fairly straightforward. Nice big buttons, right? Oh wow, it's not. I I don't know why I was expecting like a discman, like something like even smaller. smaller. Yeah, but this is quite handy, right? Like for especially for somebody who you know, if you close your eyes and try to think, okay, how is that gonna feel, right? Mm -hmm. So nice handle for this, nice big buttons with raised edges for different um, things. So this is your center key there, so you see the raised bed, and then this is raised. So the top of this, and there's like. These four buttons are the the directional buttons, so you yeah. can actually feel, okay, that one is up, this one is to this side, this one is on this side, this is down, so you can sort of feel that. And I wonder and what these ones mean. They are, they're, look, this one, this check mark, that's yeah. a bookmark, so oh, yeah. <laughs> you can, right? It's, this is a this corner. This is the corner, what is that one? I, it did say, um, okay, the, flat, the 12 numeric. It's amazing how, like, you know, when you like you have visual impairment, your other mm -hmm. senses are just like this. Like I can barely feel that little I corner know, there. Right? But I just imagine that it's so much more Yes. So much more tactile yeah. or that they're dependent yeah. on those things. Chapter three. Accessibility. Robert, who is completely blind, has been a member of the talking book club at the library for over twenty years. Charles for about the same amount of time. And, and how did you hear about it? Um, I don't remember. I mean, uh, I think I, I was having cataract surgery when I started coming in. I think my mom might have just phoned the library and asked if they had any any books available because uh, my eye vision loss is because of progressive eye disease. So, you know, about that time, I was having trouble starting to read with assistive devices, normal print. A library is not a commercial organization. It doesn't need to show a profit. Therefore, they can offer services to people that uh, a commercial organization just would never do. Having a library card in Edmonton is free. That means all the services that the library offers are also free. Helping those like Robert and Charles and Adele find the books they want without costing the money they don't have. The, the value to society is incalculable. It's just there's no way of saying how much that is really worth, how many people would, who 
you know, if there wasn't a library, it would just be out in the cold with nothing to do, you know, nowhere to go, no, uh, no, nothing to enrich their lives, you know, because they'd be missing out on so much stuff, you know, just because they wouldn't be able to read. As Nikki mentioned, the Talking Book Club meets every second Wednesday of every month. For more information, contact the Edmonton Public Library. You're listening to All That Matters from CJSR. I'm Chris Changin Phillips. And I'm Maria Lakani. I had never heard of daisies before. Well, I, I mean, I'd heard of the flower, obviously, but not in that context. <laughs> yeah, neither had I, but I think it's such a great, innovative form of technology. Yeah, you'd never think of like how much like physical volume 10 CDs take up. To listen to just one story. Exactly, yeah. No, I think it's so great. Yeah. Uh, Well, speaking of expectations, uh, are weddings ever actually the big celebrations of love and community we intend them to be for everyone that's involved? Edmonton dance company Cripsy and the performance company Mindhive Collective have teamed up to make a new show called The Wedding Reception, Love and the Margins. It aims to expose what it's like for some of the folks who feel very much in the fringes of marriage and the big celebrations around that. Okay, bear with me. I'm going to talk about Glee for a second. If by some chance you've never seen it, the show was about a show choir in a high school, sort of down on its luck and made up of misfits. And it had a reputation for having a big rainbow of characters who were black and Asian and gay and straight and one character, Artie, who was in a wheelchair. And they did a whole episode that was kind of an after school special about how important it was to include Artie in all the dance numbers. But he always looked like an awkward 12th wheel for everybody else when he was on stage. I mean, he did all the same choreography as everybody else, except when they got to do the cool footwork, he just sort of spun in his chair. The amazing and simple and totally revolutionary thing about Edmonton's dance company, Cripsy, is that its members are a mix of people who are able-bodied and people with intellectual disabilities and people who need wheelchairs, the whole spectrum. But they don't just plan out what they're going to do for the able-bodied members and then subtract the fun stuff for everybody who can't do it. They build up from the people who are actually in the rehearsal space. And for this first theater performance that they're doing in collaboration with Mindhive Collective, that's their approach too. It seems to me that I really am best with my plants. All other relationships just sort of end up muddle or sticking. In truth, I would much rather care for my plants who connect with life. I've had one plant for 12 years, and if it died, I honestly, I'd have to have a funeral. I sat in on one of the rehearsals for the wedding reception in a dance space with one of those big walls of mirrors. Julie gets around with the walker, and she was using it on stage as she went through this monologue. And then the director got this flash of inspiration. Uh, I was also asking, like, do you think Julie can have, like, a little plant in her walker? Oh, like a little oh, yeah. Yeah. plant? It's like a little succulent or something? <laughs> Or does she want to rescue the chewed up flowers? Oh, <laughs> and, I <laughs> and they're in the basket. The whole room totally got into this idea of using a plant in Julie's walker to say something about her character. It wasn't an act of tokenism, and they weren't ignoring her actual physicality. And this, Julie told me, is not just a unique experience for theater. It's also flipping the dynamic of how a lot of people experience weddings. Hi, my name is Julie Hevel. In the wedding reception, I am acting. The wedding reception is kind of our ideas of what excludes people from 
weddings and how weddings as a structure are not exactly the greatest thing for most people and make it very difficult and unreachable for most people to attain the ideal marriage. There is no perfect person. Having to watch my sister get married was quite, quite something for me as she didn't really want me involved. She didn't want me anywhere near a wedding dress with wheels. <laughs> so it's all good. You kind of get to figure out exactly where you fit. And it's not always the most pleasant experience. Did she, what did she say to you? Um, she didn't really say much of anything. She just made my brother her maid of honor. Except later that evening I had gotten within six inches of the dress and she's like, get away, <gasps> right? Of her wedding dress, she was yeah. concerned that you were gonna like wheel over it. Yep, yep. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> I think weddings are exceptionally difficult and they also parallel experience, people's experiences of disability in interesting ways because it's all about, can you use the big academic words here, neoliberal individualism. The idea that we're supposed to make ourselves better to, and solve our problems ourselves. My name's Kelsey Acton, and in the wedding reception, I'm a performer. But in my other involvement with Cripsia, I'm one of the co-artistic directors. So there's these ideas and pressures within society. One of the things we explored, um, particularly through the character of the MC, is this idea that you have to be perfect to deserve love, and you have to make yourself better to deserve love. This is really similar to a lot of our cultural ideas around disability, that if you just work hard enough, you're going to overcome, which is great for the very few people who profit off of it. Um, but for the vast majority of people, that's not a realistic or particularly pleasant thing to try and do. Um, we're also, some of the things we touch on, although it's a fairly like dark and complicated subject, is how the legacies of eugenics play themselves out in our lives. Alberta's one of, was one of the major strongholds of eugenics in Canada, and honestly in North America. Uh, our eugenics program lasted into the 70s. So, the way that plays out in people's lives is often we assume people experiencing disability aren't sexual people or aren't people who are going to have relationships. Um, statistically speaking, women who experience disability are rarely given information about birth control or um, just sort of any sort of sexual screening that other women might be. So that's super dark. A lot of the show is really funny, so we don't go there a whole lot. But we're trying to find humorous ways at some points to look at what are the legacies of eugenics in our life. And, also, and the flip side of eugenics is for people who don't experience disability, who are somehow deemed worthy of reproducing, that pressure to reproduce and that societal pressure to find a partner and have babies. Um, which in some eugenics plays it out, plays out in all our lives. 
hopefully in this show we point at it in some funny ways as well as some dark ways. <laughs> okay, so how do you translate those experiences into like a, a theater experience? What, what are people actually going to be experiencing? Um, I think they're going to experiencing something they don't really expect because it's a wedding, but it's so much a mock on these structures and playing with these structures and showing them out for what we think they are as opposed to what they look like in the moment. Is there going to be cake? There will be cake. (laughs) (laughs) There is also a cash bar. And when else do you get to drink Um, at theater? Um, In a church, no less. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It's a wedding reception. Um, it, it, It quite literally is a wedding reception. It's immersive. Yeah, we have cake. We have an MC. Um, we have a dance party following this show. So in some ways, you'll get to watch the show, but then you'll get to come celebrate this lovely reception. My character also, true to wedding style, gets very, very drunk and starts crying. So, <laughs> um. What were some of the hardest things to translate from like, oh, we want to talk about this into something like that people will actually be seeing? I think part of what we've been figuring out is how do we negotiate the boundaries of what we're willing to show the world and what we're willing to talk about? And how do we figure out how to fictionalize that? When's it a good idea to fictionalize these real-life painful experiences when's it safer to do that and when's it less emotionally safe and also how will an audience read this I mean we're very lucky that we get to have like-minded people who sit around and think about these things and then want to make art about these things but I'm not sure a whole lot of other people in the world want to sit around and think about uh how the structures of family relationships, how tax law and um, things like that privilege particular ideas of family that not everyone has access to. The rehearsal process for me was quite cathartic and it helped me work through quite a few issues. My character is probably where I was about four years ago or so in this very dark and lonely space that makes you want to cry all the time. (laughs) And so the rehearsal process was, was quite freeing in being able to express some of these things in a speech given at a wedding that maybe shouldn't be given at a wedding. (laughs) Cause it's all, woe is me. So a couple of the sticky spots that we experienced building the wedding reception was, well, firstly, working with uh, text for the first time. In theater, there's a lot of, there's pacing and there's timing to text. And I think one of the things we ask ourselves constantly in dance, but also it's come up in a big way in this rehearsal process, is when should the audience accommodate us? If people have slower processing times, do we spend the rehearsal time to 
you know, get people's movements or lines up to what an, a normative speed would be understood to be? Or do we simply say, this is how we move, this is how we speak, sit with it? Like thinking about the patience of the audience? To Yeah, and it's a hard question because we're interested in making high quality art. That's absolutely part of our mandate. But whose definition of high quality art? And how do we get this is these are things we have no answers for yet, but how do we get the buy-in from the audience to start to play with their normative expectations of theater and start to shift that? What's necessary for them to buy in and hear the message of the show? What do you hope that other artistic companies can learn through what Cripsy does and through what Mindhive has done and through specifically what you're doing with this performance about how to make uh, a rehearsal process and also a performance in inclusive for all the participants? So there were the ASL interpreters. Um, we've attempted to find what would be in a would be a physically accessible space to get in and out of, both for the performers and the audience. That is generally a big challenge. I think that we would hope that it would definitely show people what's possible and, and what can be done. It's not always the right way or the wrong way. We're still trying to figure out most of the theater stuff ourselves. But this is what can be done, and it, you can include vast portions of the community that don't normally get included in things. Thanks to Cripsy and Mindhive Collective in Edmonton. And thanks to Kelsey Acton and Julie Heffel from Cripsy for speaking with us. Thank you also to Brooke Lifeso and Heath Burkholtz for their help with that story. The wedding reception, Love in the Margins, is playing at the Robertson Wesley United Church on Friday, June 5th. The venue is wheelchair accessible and there will be ASL interpretation and childcare. You're listening to All That Matters from CGSR 88.5 FM in Edmonton. Stories that ask big questions about arts and culture around Alberta. Today we're asking, how do we make art more accessible for everyone? So Chris, a lot of that performance was built around the idea of showcasing that, showcasing ways that people with disabilities have been excluded from love and romance. What do you think about ways that they've tried to invite people to the performance themselves? I think it's, it's shocking how radical it still is to have a performance in a venue where everyone can get in. Um, mm. But it is really hard in Edmonton right now to find venues um, that have this setup. And ASL interpretation is expensive. Mm -hmm. um, I, I, I think it's amazing that they are kind of pushing the boundaries. And, and hopefully there's a trend going on right now in Edmonton um, making this more common. But I don't think that means that the performance will necessarily be for everyone. And I don't even know if that's a goal worth pursuing. What do you mean? Well. I mean, there's the side of accessibility that's about making a performance inclusive for, for people who'd have a hard time getting upstairs or who are deaf, but that and the talking book club for folks who are blind or have vision impairments that we talked about earlier in the show, those are both really all about the mechanics of how the thing is presented. Just from an artistic perspective, though, they've made some choices that not everyone is going to love, 
like not everybody's interested in watching dance as part of a theater performance, and that's something that Cripsy is doing. And not everybody even likes theater. And then you start getting into questions of how do you make something that pleases all audiences? Like, is that even possible? That's a, that's a very good question, but I feel, I really don't think that that is possible. Um, I think as a population, we're all very different and unique, and we have our own experiences that draws us, draws us towards different things. I think one thing that I've realized is that our experiences shape our perspectives of the world, and because of it, um, it's very rare for two people to interpret one experience the same way. So, yeah. 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 Uh... So then is it even worth trying to make art that's for a mass audience? If our tastes vary that much from person to person and what we love, why not just make something that only a small amount of people will love and be able to interact with and just make it really well for those people? Um, well, I think, I think there have been ways that in which um, art has been made for mass audiences, which has been actually pretty successful. I mean, you think, for lack of a better, better example, think Top 40 or you know block, blockbuster films. I feel, I feel that even though we, we criticize it as being super commercial and very mainstream, for lack of a better world, it does serve the purpose of uniting audiences all together, and it, 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 share, it brings people together. So, hmm. yeah, I think that's, that's, a good, that's one of the good things about it. Hmm. Uh, well, before we go, I have one quick digression. Um, Listeners, you might remember a while ago on the show, uh, I talked to our reporter, Jonathan Dick, about his design portfolio. And uh, speaking of people trying to make art for everyone, um, he was really pulling his hair out trying to make this into a perfect um, presentation because he was about to graduate from design at McEwen University in Edmonton. And he had to put together this book to show to people in the industry and to the public, showing off all the work that he'd done. Um, so I just wanted to give a quick update. I went to his show a few weeks ago, and you'll be pleased to hear that it went just fine. Uh, there were probably hundreds of people walking through all the tables in the atrium at McEwen where the show was happening. And here's Sylvie Vigne, just one of the people who saw John's book. Uh, I'm amazed. I'm amazed because uh, I've gotten to see his work on Facebook and on Instagram, but to see it all together and to see it in the context of this event, it's just very impressive and it's very gratifying to see it all together like this. It's so, yeah, it's super professional, which is maybe off-putting in some ways, but also I understand why it's super professional because this is now his profession. <laughs> and even John himself admitted that it went pretty well. Uh, overall, I'm happy with the way the book looks. I'm happy with the overall kind of amount of effort I put in, although there were some moments where I thought this was not going to work. Because I left, like, a lot of the components were made separately, and I had to fit them all together and bind them in a way that made the book lay flat and was easy to flip through for people, so... The pages were made separately? Well, the interior was printed, uh, like, on larger sheets, and then I cut them all to size, and then the cover, I, like, bought this huge board of chip, uh, this huge sheet of chipboard. And I silk screened it. Wow. And cut, trimmed it and stuff. And then I brought it all to this horrible scrap, well, a very nice scrapbooking place. It just has a horrible name called Treasured Memories. <laughs> um, but there was a really nice person there who helped me bind it. And I was, I was just on, on edge the whole time because he'd never done it before. He'd never like bound a book that way. Wow. So it was terrifying. But it, we pulled it off. And what was the most surprising reaction that someone had tonight? Um, 
the most surprising reaction was that they'd seen some of it before. I guess that was like the most gratifying. Yeah. Oh, that's so good to hear. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, sadly, John has moved away to Winnipeg now. So listeners, you won't hear any new stories from him, but we wish him well. Well, that's all the time we have for this week and all that matters. Thanks to our reporter, Nikki Weird, for her work on this week's show. Let us know what you've thought of the show. You can email, email us at allthatmatters at cgsr.com. We're also on Facebook and Twitter. And you can find our shows online on allthatmatterscgsr.wordpress.com. All That Matters is a production of CJSR 88.5 FM in Edmonton. Our theme music is by Dokashi Teru, additional music by Arka. I'm Chris Chang and Phillips. And I'm Ray Lakani. Thanks for listening. Thank you.